Well, good morning. Simmer down. What do you guys like each other or something? Well, we do have our special guest here from uh, Lompoc, and they'll be around after the fellowship as well so that um, you can introduce yourselves and share some stories. Um, everybody here, if you've been here for any amount of time, has heard a lot of good stories about my pastor, Pastor Mark, who's with us today. Also about his family and Aaron, who's sitting in the back. The Lord used him in high school to lead me to Christ. And you guys have heard that story of me bullying him. Well, there he is. There's the, the evidence in a Christian being used um, by the Lord as well. And so I just want to spend uh, just a really a privilege for me every year when the Lord allows him to come out and to share my uh, father in the faith. I mean, I've spent so much time being mentored and being trained by Pastor Mark, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we know here in this fellowship, we just want to continue to give the Lord Jesus glory for all that he's doing and the people that he uses to do that. And so let's give a special Low Country welcome for my pastor, Pastor Mark. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas. <laughs> We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Can never go wrong with Romans 8, right? Romans 8 this morning. It was a great blessing to have Mike in the church and uh, first met him or saw him in uh, AYSO soccer when he's a little guy. He was never little, though. He was always the big guy, the big uh, thumper. And uh, he was usually, he was about a head six, eight inches taller than every, all the other kids. And he's a really good soccer player, though. And then uh, my uh, oldest son, Aaron, as you mentioned, they played uh, varsity soccer together at Cabrillo High School there in the city of Lompoc. So, um, but anyways, we got, you know, it was wonderful to have him come to the faith, obviously, and then be a part of our fellowship for so many years. And uh, love to have him back. But uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with what God's doing here. And... Uh, yeah, I don't think, yeah, God's got him here, I know, so it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to see what the Lord is doing here in this fellowship, and, you know, it's, um, I just sense the same DNA, you know, as far as uh, ministry and just family and that uh, fellowship, communion, the, the brotherhood, the love of Christ, and it's just an awesome thing, so family of God, it's big and it's wonderful and it's always a blessing to be here. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter, we'll begin in verse 1 in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy, your grace, the salvation that is ours in Christ. Lord, I praise you. I thank you for what you're doing here. Bluffton, and we pray, God, that this morning... Your will would be accomplished in each one of our hearts, Lord, as your Spirit brings application to our lives. Father, as your Spirit ministers and speaks to us, Father, may we be to a greater degree conformed to the image of your Son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For a believer, Romans 8 is one of the most pivotal, life-changing chapters in the Bible. It deals with the salvation that is yours and mine in Christ, our eternal security. 
that which we possess presently as God's kids. But it also is a great antidote and cure for anxiety, fear, distress, depression. Those things that have a tendency to wear us down. Romans 8. Always build you up, strengthen you, fortify you in the faith. There are three reasons primarily, when you think about it, three reasons why we experience anxiety, why we have fear, or when, when doubt enters in. It usually has to do with something that has either taken place in the past, or is currently going on in my life presently, or something that I am concerned about, something that is terrifying me in maybe the near future or possibly in the distant future. And yet, in each one of these three realms, God has given us victory. When you think about our past, and here in Romans 8, verse 1, it tells us that there's no condemnation for the believer. And then you go all the way to the end of the chapter. We get in verse 39, and it tells us regarding the future that there's no separation, no possible condemnation for the past, no possible separation from God in the future. We cannot be separated from His love. And then in the middle... All things work together for the good. Romans 8.28, probably one of your favorite verses. All things work together for the good. Now, this is a study, this is a passage, this is a chapter that speaks to the believer. It's for the believer. It's not for the unbeliever, the non-Christian. This is for you and I as, as God's kids. And so as we look at the first verse... Regarding your past, it tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been removed from the sphere, the possibility of salvation. Of, not salvation. You are saved. Start, 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 let's just start all over again. Yeah. <laughs> So no condemnation, no possibility of condemnation, because we're in Christ Jesus. Now, scholars, theologians tell us, in fact, uh, the most ancient manuscripts does not have the latter portion of this verse in it. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law that goes in into verse 2, but the latter portion of verse 1 isn't found in the most ancient manuscripts, uh, neither was it quoted by any of the early church fathers. So, regard, even if it was there, it doesn't in any way alter the fact that there's no condemnation for you as a child of God. And the reason for that is this, and it's so simple. Remember that you are in Christ Jesus. You're inside of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, obviously, will never be condemned. He can't be condemned. He's God. 
And because you are inside of him, you cannot be condemned. Even though, you see, we are imperfect, we are sinners saved by grace, there's still the sin element within each one of us. We are perfected in Christ, but practically speaking, you got problems. I have problems. We're still sinners. There are still some ingredients in us that aren't right. Now, yesterday, I am so, um, I, I really, really wish I could have been here for the potluck. I have been to several of your potlucks in the past, and they are amazing. You guys got great potlucks. I wasn't able to make it yesterday. But look, I, I, I'm just going to take a wild guess. Many of you probably uh, indulged in things that weren't so good for you. Pies, desserts, cookies, whatever the case may be. I'm sure they were delicious. But you see, those things that you are a partaker of, no matter how bad they may have been, they're inside of you. Nobody sees those things. You are in Christ. And even though there are inconsistencies within us, there's sin residing residing within us as God's people, because we're in Christ we can never be condemned because we're hidden. And that which was true of us in the past, we were under the law, and as a result of that, we were condemned. If you're outside of Christ, you're condemned. Inside of Christ, that possibility is forever removed. We're in that blessed state, as it says here, there is Therefore, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember Noah. Now, Noah, he had the ark. And if you remember the story with the ark, it was coated or it was covered. It was sealed in pitch. And the word pitch there in the Hebrew it's actually, it's the very same word in, in the Greek. It speaks of the, it's the word, well, it's the word atonement, but it, the word atonement in the Greek in the New Testament, it speaks of the same thing. It's our salvation. Our sins have been atoned for. Your at one or at one with God was made through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the ark, it speaks of Christ. It also speaks of our salvation. Because we are, just like the ark was sealed with pitch or tar on the outside and on the inside, you too, you and I, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is an impenetrable barrier. You are, uh, in a sense, you know, hermetically sealed. You cannot, that seal cannot be broken. That seal, according to Ephesians, it is the Holy Spirit, it is God. Satan cannot break that seal. And so just like Noah and his family, there were eight of them inside the ark. They were sealed in the atonement, the pitch. They were inside of the ark. And they were resting inside of that ark. As the storm came out, as the floods, as the water covered the earth. But they were inside. See, God didn't have them on the outside holding on to some ropes. Hey, you guys, uh, I'm giving you, you got this ark now, but the, the storm's coming. You guys got to hold on to the rope, man. If you're going to make it, you're going to, no, they were inside. And as you read the story, when God, God shut the door, there was no way anyone could get in 
and there was no way anyone could get out. God sealed that door was shut tight. And you see, you are shut tight in Christ. You are sealed, permanently sealed in Christ Jesus. So with whatever is maybe causing you distress regarding your past, your sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation. You will not be condemned for your sins. And then as we consider our future, realize that as it tells us there in verse 39, uh, that there's no separation. But before we get to 39, and we talk about the separate, you cannot be separated from the love of God. Backing up to verse 28, and we're going to camp there for a minute. We're going to skip all the way down. I don't have time. There's no way I, I could, we could you know, spend months on this chapter. We're going to move on down into verse 28 at this point, where Paul says, And we know that all things work together for the good. All things work together for good. That's bad things, good things, horrible things, traumatic experiences. The worst that the enemy can throw at you. The most horrible sins that we could possibly commit. Good things, bad things, terrible things, all things. Notice that, it's all-inclusive. I didn't say it. God did. All things work together for the good. All things. There is a process in science, chemistry, known as synergism. And synergism is the way by which two or more elements are combined together to make something that, in and of themselves, separately, if you were to separate them, they would be unimportant, maybe even dangerous by themselves. For example, well, what you do is with, with synergism, you take those, those chemicals and you place them together, and then together they make something that is good. Uh, you know, carbon. I think you think of salt, table salt. Table salt is sodium and chlorine. Now, if you separate them by themselves, chemically speaking, they can be dangerous to ingest by themselves. But you synergize them, you know, with, with covalent bonding, they become table salt. My favorite side dish. But you, they're, by themselves, you don't drink chlor. You know that's what you use for your swimming pool if you got one. But you separated, they're poisonous. Separate, but together, synergized together, they become something good, something beneficial. And salt is good, even though it can be bad for you. It is also good for you. It has the ability with the you know, brain process and uh, you know the the, the process of, of thinking and the neurons and so forth. It's very important that we have salt. I know too much isn't good for us, but look, God does that same thing with the bad stuff, the good stuff that is in our life. He, and he's the only one that can do this. He synergizes them. All things work together for the good. Now, it's easy to see how good things could work together for the good, but when you think of, there's, there are certain things that take place in our life or maybe things in your past or things that are happening in your present 
They're thinking, there's no way God can use this. Just wait. I've said that in my life many times. Lord, there's no way you can use this in my life. This, this, there's no possible way this could be used for my good. And every single time, I feel foolish. I, I, I always end up eating my words because God, He is faithful to use the good things, the bad things, synergize them, combine. And only God can do it together for the good. All things work together for the good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. We also have a calling upon our life. And notice verse 29. For whom, the, for whom He foreknew, those whom God knew or foreknew in the past, in eternity past, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, or whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. There is a a process here that once it begins, it is guaranteed, it is absolutely guaranteed to be fulfilled. And that process is salvation for you and I in Christ. And, you know, you think about your salvation, my salvation. It didn't begin with me. It didn't begin with you. It began in eternity past. Now, these are things that we cannot fully understand. Man wrestles with predestination. Man wrestles with human responsibility. And they're constantly trying. There's always, you know, the Calvinist, the Arminius, and trying to bridge the gap and try to rationalize what... But the bottom, certain aspects of that which God has told us are beyond our ability to understand, to calculate, to reason. But there are things we can understand. And in this chapter, he tells us that God foreknew. God's foreknowledge. And foreknowledge in the Greek is prognosko. It means to have knowledge beforehand. It also means to predestine. So it's foreknowledge. It's the knowledge that God had before you were created, before you were ever thought of, outside of the the mind of God. So you were foreknown by God, and then it also tells us that he predestinated us. That word is proriso in the Greek, and it also speaks of predestination. It means to decide beforehand. It means to predetermine. You were predetermined. God chose you. God predestined that certain things would take place. Your parents, your siblings, if you have them, where you were born, uh, your, your childhood. And there's a lot of bad stuff that happened all of our childhoods and in our adult, in, in, in our adult lives also. But uh, God, He's even though certain things He didn't condone in our lives or certain things that He didn't bring about, At the same time, he overrules all things to make all things work together for the good. And you are, as it tells us here, you are foreknown, you're predestined. And from God's perspective, you see, uh, your salvation is a done deal. 
And God speaks in the prophetic, it, it's a, a prophetic tense that only God can really speak in with any accuracy. If you, you know, these individuals, these other religions, soothsayers, prognosticators, they try and predict the future. You know, the guys on NFL Sunday morning football, you know, they try and predict who's going to, and you know, uh, if they got 65%, you know, that's like, that's such a high person. Oh, that guy's really good at this. And God, in God's word, we see from Deuteronomy that if a prophet prophesies one time falsely, is inaccurate once, he's a false prophet. So God, he predicts a future with 100% accuracy. He's the only one that can. And he saw you, he understood you in eternity past. And in eternity past, that foreknowledge, you see in verse 29, all of these things, foreknowledge, being predestinated, uh, the fact that God has justified you and glorified you, it's an eternal chain reaction that once it starts, it's like a trip hammer. Or you think of like you know the domino effect when you got a bunch of dominoes and you know there's those individuals that spend uh, maybe a month putting down you know, the dominoes and they got this radical design and then but once that first domino is tapped and falls over, there's a chain reaction that it, it'll automatically go through the entire, and it's the same thing, but to a far greater degree, because a domino layer might make a mistake or get the dominoes too far apart. But with God, there's, a cha- a, there's an eternal reaction that takes place. God, once he predestines an individual, because he's foreknown them, it, then all of these things will take, to, take place. Notice God's calling there is in the middle of it. God called you. You had to respond to that. When the Lord first began to convict me of my sin and to draw me into his kingdom, I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I was going in the opposite direction. But interesting thing took place, as just with you, the hounds of heaven, as they're called. You know, God sends out the hounds of it, and there's just that you can't stop. You, you, I just want to get God out of my mind. I don't want to think about being born again. I don't want to be uh, confronted with these individuals that are witnessing, sharing the gospel with me. I didn't want anything to do with that. But God kept at it. And there was just a point where, you know, I just go, you know what? I, I give up. And I started, I started hearing about the stuff in the future and prophecy and end times events. I go, I give up, man. I'm, 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 not, I'm not going there. I don't want to be left on planet Earth, and I don't want to go to hell. So God, I'll accept your salvation. <laughs> and, and, but the thing is, is once I received Jesus Christ, after you know, being a Christian for a while, I, hey, God has a, he has a plan for me, and he has a plan for you. And you see that plan, it started in eternity past, but then when you receive Christ, you go, wow, you know, it's, it's all new to you, but not for God. And then it uses, he uses the term justified. Justified simply means just as if you had never sinned. So when God, he pounds the gavel, he makes a decision that you are just. Because you're in Christ, and Christ is just. He's 100% holy. He's 100% just. God, because you're in him, you are just. You're considered just. He declares you, and no one can change. No one can alter that declaration. You are, for all eternity, justified because you're in Christ. Just as if you had never sinned. Now, he knows there's sin. He understands that. He's working on you. That's, a, that's really a whole different subject. But that is, that is what is, that's sanctification. You are set apart the moment you, you, for all eternity, by God, by the price, the price that was paid for your salvation, 
Christ paying your sin debt, you are purchased, you are bought. You're not your own. You're a purchased possession of Jesus Christ. And you are, because you're in him, you're perfect, but the fact that we're humans, we're not in his presence, we are still sinful creatures. And we are, practically speaking, you know, God, there's, there's a lot of uh, work that God's doing on us, but at the same time, uh, we're, we're considered, we are not just considered justified, we're declared justified. And notice the last uh, word there in verse 30, glorified. God, he already sees you glorified in heaven, in his presence in heaven. Ephesians, throughout the entire epistle, it speaks of being in Christ, in Christ. And not only in Christ, but as a result of being in Christ, we are seated right now. Even though you're seated here, Calvary Chapel Bluffton, you are mystically, spiritually, but in a very real sense, you are in Christ seated with Him in heavenly places right now. Because that's your, your position is in, in Christ. He's at the right hand of God the Father. You'll never be God. But you're in the Son of God. You're in Him. And that, that's our position. We're in Him at the right hand of God the Father. So, this is all speaking of the glorification that is ours in Christ already. You, you, we think, well, I don't feel very glorified. Well, just wait. Just wait. Just like I said earlier, just wait. Just wait. It'll happen. What then? And I'm going to go through this really quickly here, or fairly quickly. What then shall we say to these things? Well, hopefully, praise God. There's not much you can say. Well, this is something that God has done for me already. You see the inconsistencies in your friends, your neighbor, as far as in the family and the, the brotherhood, they see your, they see your, they see, you know, we have, all have glaring faults. But the reality is the blood of Christ has covered those sins. And we need to see one another under the blood, under the blood, not, you know, picking and poking and uh, becoming professional sin sniffers. Just, we need to see one another in, 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 in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, the devil's against you. Some Christians may be against you. There's a lot of non-believers. Against, there's you know, governmental forces against us. But in reality, we say it doesn't matter who's against us. If God be for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The argument is from the greater to the lesser. If he's given you the ultimate gift, and you probably start, maybe started your Christmas shopping, or every, every year you're trying to find the ultimate gift for your love, it, you know, it's just an ongoing process. But the ultimate gift, the unspeakable gift that Paul mentioned to the Corinthians is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate gift. And if God gave himself, if he gave his life for you, then you see everything else is lesser than that. Anything that you could ask him is lesser than that. And so this is the argumentation. If God gave you the best, he's going to give you that which is inferior to the very best, as long as it's in accordance with his will. So he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, the devil does that. The book, of, the book of Revelation tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us night and day. So he's constantly accusing us. But once again, it doesn't matter. 
Because God has already declared, you're righteous. God has already, he's made the declaration, you are just. And so, in Christ Jesus, whatever accusations are hold us, whatever condemnation the devil throws your way, it doesn't matter. Here's another thing. The accuser of the brethren, he attacks us, he accuses us. It's something that he's on a constant, there's just that constant accusation from the standpoint of the devil, but also from our hearts. In 1 John, the Bible tells us, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Sometimes my heart condemns me. You know, it's just a thing, it's within the soul. You have maybe feelings of condemnation, or you just feel like, wow, and your heart condemns you. Where maybe you say something, do something, and you ask for, and God forgives you, but then there's just, the devil's just going, oh man, that was just so low, that was just, nobody's ever done anything that stupid. And, and the devil, in your own heart, the devil's, but you, you sense your own heart condemning you. Even with, without the devil's help. God tells us, though, that even though our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He prays for us. In Hebrews, it tells us he ever, may, he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. You have a heavenly high priest. Look, he is there for you. Go to him. Receive counsel from him. Call unto me. Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Easy to remember that one. Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. And that last phrase, which thou knowest not, means inaccessibly, Humanly inaccessible. You would not be able to access the things that God... There's no human being. Carl Jung, Abraham Maslow, Sigmund Freud. Things that they could never... Inaccessible. God will give them to you. God will impart them to you. God will give you sanity. He will give you peace. He will give you everything that is necessary for life and godliness. He is your source. He is the ultimate source. And he doesn't charge $150 an hour. So, look, he makes intercession for us. It says, who shall separate us? And that's at the outset of our study, we talked about separation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he's going to go on and talk about virtually everything that could possibly, anything you could think of, generally speaking, is mentioned here. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or that nakedness just, it speaks of being poverty-stricken, abject poverty, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day, all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, and this is not a persuasion in the sense that you kind of feel a certain way or you're leaning in a direction as far as an argumentation or what have you. This is an absolute persuasion. 
where it is a convincing that comes from God. And it comes from God's word. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us, notice that, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just speaking of of things against us, things that come against us, way back in the seventh chapter, uh, Paul mentions something that's really important for understanding. Because back in chapter 7, he's speaking of somebody who's under the law. You and I, before we were Christians, we were all under condemnation. We were all under the law. And in the seventh chapter, he speaks of the power in the law. The, the, The law is perfect. The law is unchangeable. And the, the problem with the law of God, the Old Covenant, as far as the Ten Commandments, and there are more commandments than that. You read, all the, is you read uh, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, you'll see that there are more commandments than just the Ten. The things that they were to do, not to do, and you think of the Levitical law and the, the dietary code that went with it. But they're all kind. So having said that, the problem with the law was you, was me, because we couldn't keep it. But the good thing about the law is that it showed us that we needed salvation. We needed a Savior. Here's the reality. The law is still strong. The law is still powerful. The law of God is still true. But what's wonderful about the law is this. It's great by itself. But what's glorious and what's a spiritual reality for you and I is we have died You see, the law is strong, but you see, the reality of it is this. We have died to the law. You and I, as it tells us there, I'm going to back up to the, notice it tells us there in verse 2. I'll go back a little bit here, all the way back to the very beginning almost. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life, notice that, in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, it's powerful, it's strong, it's mighty, it's real, it's true. But what has happened is this. There is a more powerful active agent. There is a more powerful law, as he mentions here. I've been made free from the law of sin and death. Now, think about in a couple days ago, we flew in on a, you know, I think it was a 737. You look at those giant, I don't know how many hundreds of tons they weigh. Or you, there's no way this thing, that thing, it's earthbound. You know, the law of gravity holds it. And there's, it's not going to move. It's just, it's the, but you bring in a completely different law, the law of aerodynamics, where you've got lift, thrust, and you engage those laws, and those are higher laws they become more powerful laws, and then the lesser law of gravity is bypassed, so the plane flies. The plane, you, you, it's, a, it's a greater law, the law of, thermo, of aerodynamics. And you see, for you and I, this is what's kicked in. We're under grace. And as it tells us here, He's made us free from the law of sin. And death. You've been freed from a greater force. Where sin abounds, 
grace does that much more abound. We have, we have that which is known as grace that we're all so familiar with. We live in grace. We're covered by the grace of God. We've been, we've been removed from that sphere of sin and death. Now, every uh, 4th of July, uh, I get jealous of Mike and you guys because you guys got great fire. You got the, you got the fireworks that really make for a wonderful 4th of July. You got the fire, you got the firecrackers, you got the skyrocket, skyrockets, mortars, Roman candles, you know, all the list goes on and on. And, so the, and I see him when I'm driving here, you know, that one off the 17, and it's got the, you know, got big giant, it's like a gas station, but it's just, you know, fireworks. I go, man. If I, well, look, in California, those are all illegal. They got what's called safe and sane fireworks, and they're just, they're just horrible. They're just, they're just super, really weak, and uh, uh, they don't have any bang for the buck. But you guys get, and remember last 4th of July, Mike sent me a picture, and he's got his trunk open with all these rockets in there, and they go, man. Yeah. So here's the deal. What's illegal in California is legal here. And what's a problem in the state of California isn't a problem here because I'm in a different state. Look, sin and death, you have been removed from that state. And you can never go back. You've been completely, and you are eternally fixed in Christ Jesus. So look, in the future, when you doubt your salvation, it, it, it doesn't do, from a spiritual standpoint, you know, uh, you're, the one that, you're the one that's suffering when you doubt your salvation. I, in the past, there's been, I've, I've doubted my salvation. There was a long period of time where I would always be doubting my salvation. And... You're just spinning, but it doesn't affect your salvation one iota. If, if whatever in the future causes you consternation, or maybe right now, look, it's not going to change these facts, that you're a child of God, that you're eternally secure in Christ, and there is never going to be any condemnation for you, and there's never going to be any separation from Christ. It cannot take place. Who, who can take you out of Christ? That's what, he's just, that's what he's saying here. Yet in all these things, going all the way down once again to verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels. You know, Satan, he's a fallen angel. Lucifer. There's only three angels mentioned in Scripture. The fallen angel, Lucifer, who's now Satan. And then you have Gabriel. And you also have an interesting character by the name of Michael. Michael the Archangel. He's the Archangel. It means there's only one of those. He's the, that's a definite article. He's one, one Archangel. And, you know, the Catholics say, I think they say there's seven or eleven, seven, eleven. They, they may, so I forget what it is. I used to know their names. I, was, uh, uh, I don't remember. One of them was Raphael, but he's a Ninja Turtle. So he's not. Uh, look, there's only, one, there's only one Archangel. One Archangel. And he's Michael. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's a great, he's a, he watches over Israel. Watches, and he's, but uh, the angels might, it they, they, doesn't matter who, you know, if, if Satan can't separate you from God, the most powerful angels, notice this, nor principalities, nor powers. Within our government, the governments of this world, behind those governmental systems, there are principalities and powers. You read about that in the book of Daniel, where it, it, the prince of Persia, behind the Persian Forces behind the Persian government, there was the prince of Persia. He's a demonic entity. 
There was the king of Greece, the king of Grecia, uh, and that is, speaks of a governmental entity. It speaks of the dark forces, the powers, principalities and powers that, sp- that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the wickedness, you know, the, the demonic forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. So those things cannot separate you, principalities and powers, nor things present, nor things to come. It's all inclusive, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Now, some people say, well, what about me? What if I decide to renege on my salvation? Look, if you're a child of God, you'll never do that. Because God has already foreseen your end, and you didn't do that. From his perspective, you're not going to... You, you, you can't... You are a created being. You're a created thing. He's telling you right here, you can't separate yourself from him. So you can uh, kick that one to the curb. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a greater salvation than we could ever imagine in this life. We have a greater experience of of grace and a greater depth of grace, a greater depth of love that in this life, no matter how uh, brilliant you are, you'll, you'll forever mine those depths as far as the love, the grace, the mercy of God, the goodness of God. They're unfathomable. But we will experience those things for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for that which is ours in Christ. We pray, Lord, that we might, as your people, uh, reflect you, your goodness towards us, realizing that all these things are that which we presently possess because we're in you. Father, as the enemy assails our souls, as uh, maybe human beings uh, seek to afflict us, fire us, yell and scream at us, government, persecute us, whatever the case may be, Lord, may we realize that we're in you. And that nothing that is, as your word tells us, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. May we go forward in, in victory, Lord. May we not be those who are cowering in fear, but may we, like the Old Testament saints and the New Testament, may we go forth in victory as a result of our faith in you. Going forward in faith, not fearing what the world says or what uh, people are doing or what's in the horizon as far as pandemics or uh, governmental unrest. Lord, may we be the victors that we are. May we be, as your word tells us, we read this morning, we're more than conquerors because you have already conquered. We give you praise. I pray your blessing upon your people as we continue to fellowship also, Lord. You'd use us. You'd speak through us, Father. Use the gifts that you've enabled us with in this congregation to be a source of of strength, a source of help in time of need, Father. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.